0: I invite you to join me for a word of prayer. Lord, I'm thankful for your servant James and this epistle we've been studying all summer. I pray this morning that you'd help me as I preach and for each one of us to be filled with your spirit and that we might have the fruits of your spirit. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I stole uh, Jordan's scripture sheet because it tells the page number of where we are in in James. It's page 1013 in the Pew Bible, if you want to uh, follow along. Um, But I was blessed this morning when I walked into the church for the early service because our baptismal font was turned the right way. We have have an eight-sided baptismal font and written, inscribed with wood carvings in the Greek words are the fruits of the spirit from Galatians 5. And the one I want to focus on this morning was facing you as, as soon as you walked in. I'm sure none of you stopped to look at it, but it, it's there on your way out. You can check it out. And it's the Greek word makrothumia. It's a compound word of makros, which means a long distance, and thumos, which is an emotion, a strong passion or feeling. And we translate it as the word patience, but it's patience to carry some kind of a, a weighty emotion for a long distance. So... Think of patience not as someone who doesn't seem to get easily upset because they're not really having the emotion. It's someone who is upset but is managing the emotion for the long distance. They're not snapping to a quick judgment or uh, an outburst or reacting in some way. They're able to to carry that anxiety or that emotion for the long distance. So I want to start with a question, and I wrote the question on here the wrong way. I wrote, are you a patient person? But let me change the question to... Do others think that you are a patient person? (laughs) If you're married or have a friend with you, ask them, hey, do you think I'm patient? It'd be helpful to hear that. So just think about that. Where are you with this subject of, of patience? Now, 50 days after Jesus rose, he took his 11 disciples and the others that had been part of their faith community over the Mount of Olives as far as Bethany, and they knew he was going to heaven. And they said to him, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And his answer was, it is not for you to know the seasons or times that the Lord has appointed according to his own authority. And then he ascended into heaven and they were left staring up at the sky. It's not for, you to know, the seasons or the times. And I think we have a problem with the passage of time or rather our perception of the passage of time. Things feel slow to us. It seems to be made worse by suffering. If you're in a hardship, time slows even more down and it drags on and drags on. And as we say, time flies when you're having fun. If you're in a good season, time goes by real fast. So suffering tends to exasperate um, our sense of the passage of time and makes it slow down. It seems like we're there in agony forever. And this is James writing to a church that was experiencing suffering and hardship. Now, consider this is not a new concept to the New Testament days. This goes back as far as there have been people. King David writes in Psalm 13, which the ESV heading calls, How Long, O Lord? It's in there four times. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider me and answer me, O Lord. And the Psalm goes on. He's struggling with the passage of time and the fact that the Lord seems slow to answer his prayer. Now, James, excuse me, Peter, the apostle also addressed this in second Peter three, and he says, don't overlook, overlook this one fact, my beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a 1,000 years as one day. And as Curtis uh, said a couple weeks ago, then it's really technically only been two days since Jesus returned to the Father. By that accounting, if it's a 1,000 years as one day. Then he says, the Lord is not slow. He's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient. There's that word again. He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So there is a great and terrible day coming, and the Lord, because He loves us, is being patient with the return so that everyone can come to a saving knowledge of His goodness. He's patient. I told you, I think last week I mentioned, I've, I've totally gotten hooked on that that uh, show, Alone, which is a real survivor show, not like the political game show one, but they put 10 survivalists alone in difficult places and they have to live off the land with only 10 items in their backpack. And um, the last person standing wins a half a million dollars. And the, the only season that I have access to is season eight and I've been watching it and I finished it this week. I won't, I won't tell you who won, but, um, it was very interesting how and every, they have their own cameras and so they're they're documenting their experience themselves. So they're they're kind of going mentally a little bit weird because they've been alone, literally alone, with wild bears in British Columbia and they're talking to the camera, and they're asking all kinds of questions. And when and we the the audience that are watching, they tell us who's still in it and we keep going to each person as their struggles are unfolding and then they either call the phone and tap out, or the medical examination happens and they say, we're going to medically disqualify you because you're going to die out here, and they pull them out. So um, when, they, when they go to the last person who, who has won a half a million dollars but doesn't know it... They totally were cruel to this person because it looked like a medical examination and they made the person get on the scale and lift up the shirt to show how skinny their ribs were and ask all these questions. It was kind of cruel. And they, they said, well, how long do you think you can last? And they're at, at this point, I think they're at day 74 or something. And this person says, I think I can make it to day 90. Maybe more if I catch some rabbits or a fish or shoot a deer, but I, I, I know I can get to day 90. In, in, in this person's mind, they're wondering, am I about to be medically disqualified? They're going to take me off out of here. I got to look strong. And he's, this person's wondering, who else is even still in it? And they finally go, well, you're not going to have to do any of that because you're the last one. And then he just breaks down. The passage of time is so difficult when you're suffering and when you don't have the answers. They don't know if nine others are still out there or if they're the only one. They're going through hardship, and so the days just grind by. Some of them just lay in the sleeping bag all day trying to preserve calories and think. It's awful. And that's kind of like our experience in this life where we don't know what the Lord is doing specifically. We know long-term what he's doing and where he's going, but we don't know moment to moment what's happening. And so like David, we're going, how long, Lord? How long? When will you answer? Do you ever wonder where God is and why he seems absent? Theologically, he's not. He's here with us. He's always here. We know that. We know that up here, but in our hearts, we feel like, where are you? What are you doing? Why? Well, the early church felt that way too. And James, in his letter today, addresses this topic, and twice in the little passage, page 1013 in the Pew Bibles, twice says, be patient. Be patient. He starts in James 5, 7 says, be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Therefore is an important word because last week he was addressing unbelievers who worship wealth and he's saying your wealth is going to corrode and you with it. And so he's saying to the church, don't envy them. They're the ones that have defrauded you and they're making your life hard. Therefore, he says, be patient. And he then uses the illustration of a farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. In Palestine where a lot of this farming was happening, the the seasons lined up such that they would sow the seeds into the ground and then there was an early spring rain and that would grow through the summer and there was a late rain that came and then the harvest happened. And the farmers had to do a lot of work. I mean, you you all know, at least um, imagine that farming is hard work. They're not just sitting around waiting, but they are doing work, but they can only do certain things. The farmer cannot influence the rains. He can pray for them, which has an influence of sorts, but he can't make the rain come down. He's got to wait. And so James is saying, consider how the farmer does his work and then waits for the rains to come and waits for the fruit to be produced. Learn patience like the farmer here. And this is an important part of life for us is to learn the extents of our personal agency, how big our sphere of influence is, what we can affect, what we can bring about change. And it starts very early. I mean, part of being a human is learning that you have personal agency. So what are some of the first things that a baby says? No, mine, what are some of the first things mom and dad say? Keep your hands to yourself, right? Trying to get dominion and agency over the things, and this increases with life to a certain point and then it starts to decrease actually. But we get a certain amount of influence in this life and part of maturing is learning where those boundaries are and not trying to control what is outside of our agency. If the farmer gets anxious trying to make it rain, he's wasting his energy, he can't make that happen. Now it's interesting that our Lord says if you're faithful with a little, you'll be entrusted with more and the Lord can actually increase the amount of agency and influence you have. And he's telling us to pray for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven and to work for that too. So there is stuff for us to do. In fact, we say every Sunday, send us out to do the work you have given us to do. Our work is not to make it rain. Our work is not to force the hand of the Lord to come back because we can't. Jesus couldn't be pushed by his brothers. They were like, go up to the feast. If you want to be a public figure, now's the time, go up to Jerusalem. And he said, my hour has not yet come. You can go anytime, but for me, my hour has not yet come. And then he did at one point say, now now the time has come. He was very keenly connected to his father's timeline, the seasons and the times. Jesus knew what he was supposed to do. But no one, no other person was going to force his hand, and we still can't. You can't make him answer, and you can't make him come back. There's a time appointed for this, according to the father, and he will come when his time has has come so my point this morning is that we're being asked by james to be patient with others like jesus is patient with you and he is patient i like how our eucharistic prayer says in the fullness of time put all things in subjection under your christ the day is coming when all things will be put under his his dominion right now there's a lot of pirates running around grabbing stuff that we shouldn't be grabbing And he allows this to go on for a season, but be patient like the farmer. Now, the second time, the next verse in verse eight, James says to them, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. This idea is hearkening back to where James has called them double minded as opposed to being a single minded heart, a person who's trying to do multiple things. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? That's a a heart that is not established. Or we mentioned at one point in this sermon series that a spring can't put out fresh and salt water. It can only do one or the other. It can't do both. So establish your hearts. And the word establish here is the same one that is used for when Jesus in Luke chapter nine, it says he set his face toward Jerusalem. When the time had come for Jesus to go and pay for our sins on that cross, he set his face for Jerusalem. He established his course. Same word here. So James is telling us, establish our hearts. But how? I mean, how do we actually do that? Well, I'm just trying to stay faithful to what the text in front of me is saying, and I wanna look at a couple of things that James says. One, in verse nine, he says, do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So right away, he starts to protect the community of faith. You know, when we're suffering, the ones that we are, if we don't have patience, the ones that we're tempted to lash out against and grumble against are those that are closest to us, right? It's your friend that takes it. It's not some distant person. Even if you're grumbling against some distant person, it's your own family and friends and your community that has to hear it. He's saying, don't grumble against one another faith community is so important for us to establish our hearts i mean instead of tearing down the community the community of faith is the is the people that share in your hope of the return of christ and the resurrection we actually are encouraged because we know he's coming back and will put things right and so when i'm tempted to lose my patience somebody else can say well hang on he's still lord I mean, that psalm that we read this morning during worship, it's all about, there's, there is no one that equals you. You are Lord, you're in charge. And, and the community of faith can encourage that. But grumbling within the community of faith has no place. The disciples grumbled. Which one was going to be more important? Which one's going to have the better seat when the kingdom comes? They were grumbling among themselves because their hearts were not yet established on the Lord's mission. The Israelites grumbled in a really bad way. They saw incredible miracles—the parting of the Red Sea, manna coming down from heaven—and they grumbled. I'm tired of this miraculous bread from heaven. By the way, I would have done it too. So it's not like I'm standing here better than them. I would have done the same thing. God, we're going to die. Where's the water? Where's the... Grumbling, and they grumble, and they grumble. And He does miraculous things, and they grumble and grumble and grumble. And that's that's our our heart problem. You know c.s lewis wrote a book called the great divorce it's not about marriage but it's about the separation of heaven from hell and he imagines a bus route that goes from the bottom of hell up to the the foothills of heaven and just keeps circulating around and he chronicles what hell looks like when it comes to a full manifestation in a person's life Grumbling, by the way, is one of the things he addresses. What starts as a grumble grows into this thing that takes over the person. And somebody in this story fictitiously wants to meet Napoleon Bonaparte, who's somewhere down in the lower regions of hell, of course, according to C.S. Lewis's fiction. And, and when asked of the tour guide, I want to see Napoleon, they say, oh, no, no, you can't see Napoleon. He's been here too long. Well, why? why? What's the deal? Well, because of the grumbling that happens, there is a constant separation in hell. You can't tolerate one another because you're all so full of yourself that you keep moving on and building a new town, and moving on and building a new town, and as soon as there's grumbling, a new town. It's it's the exact opposite of building community. It's tearing community down, and it's like this, again, this is fiction. This is C.S. Lewis imagining, but it's this expanse of distance and no community because of grumbling. It actually is total aloneness with your sin and nothing else. It's the, hell by definition is the absence or separation from God, the absence of God, And so, this is a horrible thing, and and James is saying, establish your hearts by not grumbling against one another within the faith family, but actually the opposite would be encourage one another and all the more as we see the day coming. So, be patient with one another because our Lord is patient with you. He's he's not slow. He's patient. Also, um, then then he goes on, James goes on, and he says, um, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And it's interesting, the prophets came and gave the word of the Lord to a culture that didn't wanna hear from God. And so they were directly persecuted. They were, they were constantly speaking and then being rejected. Jeremiah probably is, has the worst story of it. It was really hard for him to be a prophet because people didn't wanna hear what he had to say. And he kept patiently saying the word that the Lord had for them and had to, had to suffer this. Now, James does something interesting in here, and I'll let you think through the difference. He uses the word patience, and then he uses the word steadfast. As an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. And you heard of the steadfastness of Job. So Job, if you know the story, has been suffering because God has allowed Satan to test him, because Satan is saying the only reason Job is faithful is because you've blessed him so richly. And God says, fine, take the blessings away. You can harm him, just don't take his life. And Job doesn't know that this whole conversation is going on. Much like that show alone, they don't know what all that we know. We get, as the reader, heaven's eyes view of Job's situation. But all Job knows is sulfur fell and destroyed his crops, and his, his, he's got sores on his body, and his family's all died, and it's just like calamity after calamity. He doesn't know where he's got an invisible enemy, whereas the prophets had direct enemies that were fighting them. So, there's two different words here, and we've got patience and steadfastness. And here I found a a, a helpful comment that said, patience is the self-restraint which does not hastily retaliate against a wrong. And steadfastness is the temper which does not easily succumb to suffering. So, in the one case, you've got general suffering that's causing you to want to break and succumb whereas with patience you've got something that is a specific thing harming you and you want to attack it their words are very close obviously but james says consider both the prophets who were attacked by people that didn't want god's word and job who had this suffering and didn't even know where it was coming from but how much we love steadfastness i mean don't you love the movie rocky because that guy's ter- he's a terrible boxer but he just can be punched in the face so many times without passing out. He's just steadfast to get to round 10, right? He just wants to stay in there. He's steadfast, and we love it. We love it because he doesn't give up. We appreciate this. We like steadfastness, it says in verse 11. And then I think here's our motivation. This is where this comes down to, not just that the Lord is patient with us, but he has compassion and mercy for us. It says in verse 11, You have seen, uh, you said, you have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You know, the scriptures say that the mercies of the Lord are new every day. Mercy is, is not getting what you deserve. You and I deserve something, and we don't get that judgment or whatever that is, because God in His mercy holds it back from us. He's compassionate upon our situation. This is who our God is. And if we start to look for His mercies in our life, and go, wow. You know, except by the mercies and grace of God go, I, I realize I'm only standing here because God has been compassionate on me. It will help with developing patience. Now, none of us can do this in our own strength. That's why it's one of the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians 5. It's why it's engraved on our baptismal font, because we pray for the Holy Spirit in, in the sacraments. We need His Spirit to help us grow in patience to be able to withstand the sufferings, the attacks, the difficulties of this life. I wanna encourage you to be patient with others because Jesus is patient with you and ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to do that. So I'm gonna pray now and I wanna encourage you to bring the attacks or the suffering or whatever conflict you might be experiencing before the Lord and ask him to help you be patient in that situation. Would you pray with me? Lord, this topic of patience is so difficult for us. We have many trials, as you know, and sometimes, Lord, we get short-sighted and forget what is coming. Lord, would you lift our sights? Would you help us establish our hearts? Would you help us press into the faith community and be encouraged by our brothers and sisters who also carry your name? I pray that you'd be pleased with our offering. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.